0: What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from... William A. Amira. An inmate at the California State Prison. And, for this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which you guy who want quit death row without a gang, without a, a people
1: being around you soon after you went into to be on death row and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much but then you said we are gonna do 75 sets of it to me that seems extreme so I'm wondering if there's a danger of... Overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're. <laughs> That's actually funny. That's
0: funny. It's funny, I mean, I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. I'll tell
1: you why. Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston.
0: And I'm William Nogueira.
1: And today, Bill, we have a case that you found that's really interesting about a guy that that was executed in San Quentin it's a really interesting story the guy's name is Gordon Northcott and so we'll get into that as always I'd like to remind everyone to follow us on Instagram Facebook and patreon at death Road diaries before we start you said that you had some uh, some news about uh, about your website right
0: yeah, I'm kind of happy to report. It's been a long time coming, but my website, which originally was, you know, for the last decade, was com And there was a bit of a problem with um, a person that was involved with my trust, and uh, I lost the website, and I lost my name. And somebody else had bought it, and they were basically extorted me for $5,000 for my own name. Which I never paid, and that's what my website was, artist, com. Well, I'm happy to report that as of this morning, I now own the domain name williamnagara.com. My website has been flipped over, so from now on, my website is just williamnagara.com. It's mine, it's gonna stay mine, we're not gonna lose it again, so I'm really happy about that. It's almost like losing your identity. I know it sounds kind of weird, but. It just was, and I was not happy about that for a very long time. But now, everything seems to be going in the right direction. So, ladies and gentlemen, my website now is com, and please sign up for the newsletter, if you haven't, and other things that are kind of cool on there.
1: Yeah, there's people that just buy up domain names, and then, I don't know if extortion is the right (laughs) word, but... Pretty much, you know, they then they try and get you to buy it back from them. I don't know if that's what happened with you, but it's a pretty, uh, pretty low-life thing to do, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could see where someone buys the name pepsi or Pepsi.com. I get it. They want a multi-million dollar or multi-billion dollar company to pay them for the domain. I get it. Listen, it's, it's fair. But in this case, you look, it was my website, and because of someone's, you know, actions, they were, it was deleted and my name floated and I'm pretty sure the person that bought it was associated to that other person. And of course they, when we contacted them to to buy my name, they told me they wanted $5,000, which I didn't have. So for six years, I basically had artistwilliamnaguerra.com but now I'm back on the saddle again or back in the saddle, like they say, like Steven Tyler says of Aerosmith and I'm writing.
1: Was that Aerosmith or ACDC? That was Aerosmith?
0: Yeah, it's Aerosmith.
1: That's Aerosmith, buddy. Oh, all right. Uh, good to know. Well, that's that's good. I'm glad you got that taken care of. So, Gordon Northcott, this is a guy that lived a long time ago. Nonetheless, he was in the same prison that you spent many years in, although not at the same time, but... Uh, uh, so he had a short life, but he did a lot of bad things during that time. <laughs> so why don't uh, why don't you give me the background on this guy?
0: Yeah. So this guy's name is Gordon Stewart Northcock. He was born in 1908, which is a very long time ago. Um, he is it was a serial killer and under the category of homosexual sadist. Um, he was known as the Eight Man because of the his hairy arms, he had very hairy arms. Um, He was also known as the Wineville Chicken Coop Murderer, as well as the Boy Butcher. And the, the, the name Boy Butcher comes into effect because he was extremely young. As I said, he was born in 1908, and he's a special kind of serial killer. And I say special, not in a good way. What I mean by special is that he developed extremely quickly. Um, He was only 20 years old when he was arrested, and he was already a fully developed serial killer uh, with anywhere between three and 20 murders. I say that because they only convicted him of three murders. And as we know, Matt, many serial killers get convicted of 3, 4, 5 murders and there's 20 other murders that they don't even bother filing against them because they got the death penalty and they don't need to spend more taxpayer numbers or dollars to get him convicted but the interesting thing about this guy is that by age 18 because he was arrested at 20, he was already fully developed and what I mean by that is that he already had a signature he had an M.O. And in my opinion, he killed more than 20 boys. And I mean boys ages eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. So this guy was a really bad guy. He is, the, he is similar to and in the same line of killer, serial killer, as Dean Carroll. Now you and I spoke about Dean Carroll and his, he's known as the Candyman. Are you recording already? Yeah. He's also very similar to John Gacy, the crown prince of serial killers, in that he was a homosexual sadist, pedophile, and he used kids to lure his victims to him. Um, He was also a guy who lied a lot. He said his father began raping him at the age of 10. His father was then institutionalized at some point in his life. He was, uh, then he committed suicide while institutionalized. His uncle was also in prison for murder and he was doing life. So look, this guy has a lot of people in his family who are probably not the best examples of what a citizenship should be like. However, a lot is not known about him. But um, he moved then to Los Angeles, as I mentioned, And, you know, look, he he developed really quickly. And, And I say really quickly because by 18, when this supposedly started and the first victim was taken, he was very young. But in my opinion, because of the nature of his murders involving torture, mutilation, sexual sadism, and with no little to no hesitation in my opinion he knew who and what he was much earlier and the only way to do that is to experiment and practice his craft of killing so if he moved to Los Angeles in at age 18 and he is already active there is no way he became that proficient or that prolific without having a lot of experience. He was in Canada before then. And in those days, the 1920s, it's not very difficult to get away with killing, burying, and he had an MO, or he would dispose of the bodies. Canada's a bit more, I guess, rural than Los Angeles in those days. And it would be easy to hide bodies. So in my opinion, he began torturing and killing young boys much earlier. And it's why authorities believe he has as many as 20 murders.
1: Yeah, and it's... From looking at him... I mean, I wouldn't say he's an attractive guy, but he he doesn't have that, uh, you know, d- d- disabled kind of ogre-ish look to him. It, 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 he looks like he... And, you know, you can't always judge someone from their appearance, but he looks like he's a a fairly sophisticated guy.
0: Yeah, that's true. He didn't look like a monster. And look, (laughs) we've seen this before where these serial killers appear normal. Ladies and gentlemen, they're not normal. They appear to be. It's like a prey mantis that hangs out on a leaf. It just looks like a leaf. It looks like an ordinary leaf until you get close enough and it eats your head off. So that's what this guy is. So after arriving, you know, he, he puts together, a, he establishes a chicken ranch. And it, is, and it is in Wineville, California. And he then takes his 13-year-old nephew. His name is Stanford Clark. And according to reports, we have reports that he, did get permission. In other cases, he says he did not get permission of bringing the boy to California from up north. And right after he brings his nephew there, according to his nephew, he is being raped and sodomized by this guy, Northcott. Um, and then he is coerced by threats of being murdered himself to participate in murders, and that's why I said he's very, very similar to the Candy Man, where he used boys to lure his victims to him. Um, so, by February 1928, he abducts a Mexican boy, and after sexually assaulting him and raping him, he shoots him, kills him, and then cuts off his head. He leaves the boy's body in La Puente, California, which if you don't know, and Matt, you may not know this, but I grew up in La Puente, California. And um, he just left him by the side of the road. He took the head back to the ranch where he smashed it and scattered the, the remains around his chicken coop. And that body was found later. But of course, in those days, there's a lot of things going on. Police are not. La Puente, California, by the way, is several, several miles from Riverside in Wineville. Uh, it's about an hour, hour and a half from there. And in those days, it was difficult to get around. So by, in March of 1928, Northcott takes another boy. And this guy's kid's name is Walter Collins. He's only nine years old. He's from Mount Wilson, or Washington, I'm sorry. Um, and look, he, this is really a bad situation. He takes his boy to his farm. He puts him inside the, the the chicken coop where he tortures him for several days, rapes him, He does really bad things to him. And then he kills him with an axe by hitting him over the head. Um, this case of Walter Collins does not end there, uh, which I will come back to because of the really the drama behind this particular case of this young boy and his mother and what really happened to him. So Northcott is already on one. As you can see, he kills in February, he kills in March, and then again, his next victims are two young boys and they happen to be brothers. Now, in the past couple of years, Matt, you and I have talked about pedophile rapist serial killers who have taken siblings and murdered them. Candyman is one of them and there are suggestions and documentation that several other serial killers in California have taken siblings and murdered them both. This guy is that guy too. Uh, Lewis 10 and Nelson 12 Winslow um were abducted while walking home from a model yacht club meeting and they were taken to north ranch where they were tortured raped murdered with the same acts. And, and look these cases are horrible you have children um that are being murdered and this guy has a very developed ml very developed signature And there is, as I mentioned, no way this guy can become this monster so early on unless
1: he had been doing it for years. I mean, how how is he, he's a young guy. How is he getting around? Does he have a car? I mean, how is he making money? I I don't know if you have all these answers, but I'm just a little bit confused.
0: Well, his family was not absolutely poor. They had uh, a home in Boyle Heights. They had moved from Canada. They had this chicken farm in Wineville, California. And he seems to have enough money to rent vacation homes. He has a car that he transports. He's kicked, with a truck, he's chickens in. He also has a car that he drives. In 1928, Ford had already made the Model T several years before that. So there are cars and they're relatively easy to get if you have a little bit of coin. And from all accounted, for all intended purposes, this guy had a means uh, to live. Back then it was very cheap to buy a car. It wasn't the most expensive. And he seems to be like a guy that's pretty smart. He's not, you know, IQ 150 or above. No, he's just very uh, manipulative. He's smart. To a point, street hustler, if he needs a car, he'll find a car. It, it's that simple. And I'm sure that um, guys like this tend to get what they need because the drive to kill is so uh, honed, it's so uh, acute, that he'll do what it takes to get one.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize his family. So he didn't really do any of this himself. He's just kind of living off the family, more or less.
0: Well, he does have the the chicken farm, but I don't know if if selling eggs and chickens makes this kind of money, but obviously it did okay for him. But remember, look, I haven't mentioned this before, but his mother is somewhat involved in these type of shenanigans, shenanigans. She, later on, becomes involved and admits to being part of the murders. So he has his mother's backing, which is very strange. But it does give suggestions. And this is not concrete. This is my opinion. There's suggestions that his mother obviously knew he was murdering boys. She obviously helped in some of these boys. And this is according to his nephew, who he has raped coerced into helping him lure boys and then ultimately killing them and that is his nephew uh stanford uh who he well he does really bad things to him but stanford does later testify that his mother meaning Norcott's mother well for all intended purposes who we believe is his mother is involved with them and that is where my opinion may differ from some of these experts I believe that his mother was the one that was having a sexual relationship with him, not his father. I believe that Northcott was homosexual, a pedophile, but I believe that his mother was having sex with him. Why do I say this? Well, because she participates in his murders. She is extremely protective of her son, so much so that she confesses to the murders to protect him. A mother that does that and knows what her son is there are eyebrow-raising suggestions that maybe she took him on as a lover. So why would her mother do that? Well, because she wasn't really his mother. There is documentation that his sister, Winifred, who is, by the way, Sanford Clark's mother, the, 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 the nephew that he was raping and coerced and helping him, She is actually his mother and actually his sister as well because her father, the man man that he said raped him, which I don't believe, was raping his daughter. And his daughter became pregnant and then had Gordon Stewart Northcott. Is that a a mind mental gymnastic there for you or what?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit convoluted, but you're saying that his sister is his mom yep that's his mother and his father
0: is the guy who raped his own daughter and had northcott his mother who was the woman every thinks is his mother is just now his nice lover let me hang up and call back
1: yes yeah, so that's horrifying to state the obvious yeah so you gotta wonder if he he has some kind of uh Mental disability, based on that, based on his genetics.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that's really true, or that he that this gives him an excuse. Um, this, this is my my opinion, um, and there is little insights that tell me that this was going on. Look, if people are going to obviously going to say, "Well, Bill, this guy's." He's a pedophile. He doesn't like women. Well, <laughs> we know for a fact that we've known many killers who start off as pedophiles and turn into guys who rape and kill women. And then we have the opposite having guys who are with women and yet they're still pedophiles. You know, Richard Ramirez, does that bring any memories to you? So yeah, this, this is going on that way and things start to fall apart for him. Pretty rapidly, when his nephew, who we know is actually his brother, um, because his Clark's Sanford Clark's mother is actually also Northcott's mother, uh, he is uh, he's basically visited by an older sister, and she sees that he's withdrawn and he's not acting the same, and she asks what happens. He then spills his guts and tells her exactly what's been going on. That Northcott has been raping him uh, and doing all these abusive things to him and to other boys. And he tells her that there are boys that have been murdered are actually buried on the ranch. Uh, within days, Jesse, who that's who his older sister is, she informs authorities. And they come to visit the farm um, where they find the 15-year-old Sanford. But he immediately tells them that Northcott has fled. He's actually fled with his mother, or the woman that everybody believes this is his mother. And they escape to Canada. The 15-year-old Sanford then tells agents about his ordeal, as well as the murders. And warrants are issued for both Sarah who is the woman basically portraying herself as his mother and at for Northcott and they are pretty quickly arrested in Canada uh, and really what happens then is here's where she begins to protect who I think is her lover Sarah confesses to the murders and then just before she's extradited she retains the, the confessions on the other hand, Northcott then confesses to killing more than five children, and um, basically that really ends his story as a killer. But there is so much to, more to this case that's interesting and bears uh, mentioning. So during this trial, Sanford his actually his brother, not his nephew, testifies and tells law enforcement that Norse disposes the bodies using quick line and that the remains are still in the chicken ranch. They go there and they find actually shallow graves with what's left of bones, hands, hair, human blood of at least three boys. And we know three boys were murdered there, plus the boy in La Puente, that's four. And the, uh God, no, Sanford Clark obviously testifies that he did kill that young Mexican boy and left him in La Puente, California, and that the head was disposed of of on the ranch. So you really have a pretty open and shut case. This guy is who he is. The speculation is how many he killed before he came to California. There are suggestions that he killed 20 boys. I believe the numbers are around between 18 and 21. I believe a lot of those boys were killed in Canada. Um so besides the hair found on the premises of his ranch, there's also the fact that he goes, he's exit well he's actually he's sentenced to death at a California court and he is sent to San Quentin and those days San Quentin really was not a nice place they were executing by hanging there and um this guy, look, let's be honest. This guy wasn't the most masculine guy in the world. And it really comes up because on October the 2nd, 1930, when they are to execute him, he begins to cry like a baby. He drags his feet. He asks, well, it hurts. Um, he's asking him not to walk so fast so he doesn't have to be executed. He begins to scream, to pray for him. So this guy's a real weenie. He did all those things to those kids, and when it comes time for him to pay the piper, he turns into a little girl. And, you know, his mother then stated that um, her husband, Cyrus Northcott, is actually Northcott, the serial killer's father, and his sister, Winifred, is the mother in an incestuous relationship. So that's where I get the insight about who Northcott's parents really were. Does that relationship make him a little bit deranged? Maybe, but I don't, I don't know if that's to be true. Uh, later on, uh, a warden at San Quentin by name is Clinton Duffy wrote a book. And in that book, Matt, he, he says that Northcott confessed to the murders of more than 20 boys. Uh, And when they executed him, they searched his cell and they found in a shoebox, a map of that farm in Wineville. And he had drawn coffins that looked like small little exes with coffin lids on them. And he wrote, if you look here, you'll find what you want, meaning that you'll find you'll find the bodies of the boys that he killed. Those bodies were never recovered makes you think, how many did he really kill? And as I said, my opinion is about 20. But there's something interesting. Six weeks after he was hung, a trapper, and I do mean a traveler that that traps animals, finds the remains of a boy very near the the, the chicken ranch, owned by Northcott. And that boy was between the age of 12 years old 14. Could it have been one of his victims? Absolutely. And in my opinion, that's exactly who it was. It was one of his victims, one of the many. So what do you think so far, Max? Because the story does have another twist.
1: Well, I guess I'm wondering, and, and, you know, I'm sure there's not any clear documentation but does he think this is his mother or is he in on the whole thing hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. And and there's no documentation to prove anything because he could have had an Oedipus type of relationship with his mother where, you know, but who knows? But in my opinion, from her actions of protecting her, because most of their sons, a woman who participates in murders, a mother who or a woman who portrays as his mother does all the things she does seems to come from a different type of a relationship and in my opinion that relationship is an incestuous one well one that is, is looked upon as incestuous but the truth is uh, that's not his mother and they're not related in any way because it is true that Winifred is his mother with his father then sarah has no relationship to northcott other than you know maybe that she has portrayed herself as his mother and she becomes his crime partner so and i did i did promise the audience and you a a new twist to the story and it involves the nine-year-old boy named walter collins so when he disappeared and look and we know that northcott killed him But in in that time, really no one knew what was going on. And at that time, Los Angeles Police Department was under a lot of scrutiny and pressure for being corrupt, uh, for not really doing anything for people, for taking bribes. So they were very pressured by the mother of this child to find her child. So look what the LAPD does. They find a boy who says he is this young boy of nine years old, named Collins. And they bring him and they tell the mother, we found your child, she's very relieved. She comes to get the boy and she tells the police captain, this is not my child. And he says, sure he is. He says he is, he's your son. She says, no, he's not, he's not my son. So they tell her, well look, take him home for a few weeks, try him out and tell me what you think. So the mother is very distressed, but she takes the child home. It's a little boy. It's nine years old, I and mean, you're just not going to leave the child. So she brings him back and says, Look, this is not my child. So the LAPD responds, specifically this captain, he responds by institutionalizing her, putting her in mental war because she's uncooperative, and he has said that she has done, she has, she has, um, she has actions that make him believe that she's a to society so they stick this woman in a mental ward because she won't accept this kid finally the kid who was a drifter admits that he made the story up that he's not collins so the mother is released and then she sues the lapd for what she says is complete inappropriate actions uh fault imprisonment just all kinds of stuff and guess what? She wins. They award her something between ten and fourteen thousand dollars, which in nineteen twenty-eight is an extraordinary amount of money. She never gets paid. The captain never pays her, and she spends the rest of her life searching for her child, that she is hopeful is alive. But according to Sanford Clark, who was Northcott's forced accomplice, the boy was killed on the ranch after he was raped and tortured by Northcott.
1: I mean, how could the LAPD just not pay someone? I feel like, I mean, that, that would never happen now.
0: Well, no, but in those days, look, you have, this is 1928. This is, you know, Los Angeles is a large city, but it's still a very uh, unsophisticated city uh, town that has a lot of people that are under bribes. There are a lot of people because of the gold rush, you know, obviously about 50 years or more before, but there's a lot of corrupt people in politics. And the LAPD at that time was extremely corrupt. They were infiltrated by mob bosses, by people in the mob, by organized crime of different sectors. And some of the cops were being bribed. So, That they pressed this case because there were pressure to solving it, doesn't surprise me. We've seen in modern times, law enforcement not share information with other cities about a serial killer and that killer goes on to kill because they didn't share information. So it doesn't strike me as odd. And obviously it's true. These are factual events because the lawsuit is, was documented and the woman won the lawsuit. And they've actually made a number of different movies about this particular happening. There was one uh, directed and produced by Clint Eastwood. It was called The Changeling, and it was about this woman, uh, Collins, and her child, Walter Collins, who was abducted, obviously murdered, but that the LAPD forced another child on her, and the whole ordeal she went through of being institutionalized because she wouldn't cooperate. So it's absolutely true. Hey, man.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty wild. And so eventually he's executed um, after not spending too much time in San Quentin, I don't think.
0: Uh, not two years. Yeah. He was, bought, he was executed in October of 1930. So basically his reign was between really a year and a half when they were actually became aware of what he was doing. I believe he killed it in Canada, and that's why he moved. Um, I'm pretty sure that is true, as I mentioned, why that is, because of his development, and how already he wasn't hesitant to kill, and he's already developed a very sophisticated MO as well as a signature. So, yeah, this guy, really bad guy, and by the way, the city of Wineville, because of the publicity, of this, and once they executed Northcott, they changed their name. Did you know that?
1: No, because I was wondering. I'd never heard of Wineville.
0: (laughs) Yeah, neither have I, but they actually changed the the name of Wineville to Miraloma. So these murders Mm. took place in Miraloma rather than Wineville because it didn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah, well, listen, they executed him on October the 2nd and on November the 1st of the same year, which is 30 days later or 28 days later, they changed the name of the town.
1: Well, they're not fooling us, Bill, I'll tell you that much right now. This has been interesting <laughs> as, as always. We'll be back next week. Until then, I've been Matt Ralston.
0: And I'm William out. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on us. We'll see you next time. All right.